If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more apps out there. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This podcast contains adult content suitable for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Out of the darkness and into the fire, whoa, 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 out of the darkness and into the Welcome, dear traveler, to the morbid forest. down right now. Oh, oh, you're okay, Larry. Wait. And as for you, it isn't nice to jerk other beings around. How would you like it if Ranger Harper were your puppet master? It was a beautiful summer day, and I was spending my summer break in and out of my best friend Martin's house. We were in the same grade, but he was a year older than me and my best and only friend. Martin was quite popular in town, and nearly half the town knew him, which meant I knew them as well. Although they weren't my friends and admirers like they were his. It was more a tolerable relationship because it was obvious, even to me, that Martin cherished my friendship over all others. Most of our days were spent exploring the town on our bikes or playing soccer. On this day, we were at the soccer field with a few of the other kids in town, playing ball in the early evening. I was spending yet another night at Martin's house, which offered us a curfew of until dusk instead of my mother's strict in by dinner rule. At 10 years old, I thought Martin had the coolest parents, allowing us to just be free like kids were meant to be. As the evening sun dipped past the trees, the street lights began to flicker and bloom. A figure strode across the soccer field, making a beeline right for us. This was our first encounter with Tony. We had never seen him before, and he couldn't be older than six or seven. 
he simply halted in his tracks right in front of us and asked if he could join our game. With a glance and a joined shrug, we agreed. As we dribbled up and down the field, Tony droned on and on about how amazing his father and siblings were. My dad is the best in the whole world, he would say, or no one is as amazing as my dad. All the while, trying his best to keep up with us as we zipped around the field. He was just too slow, but we continued to play. What about your mom? Is she awesome too? One of the others teased him. Little Tony simply shook his head without saying anything, the big smile on his face not faltering. Then he simply stopped and raised his arm to get our attention. Why don't you come over to my place? My dad is great. I have all the toys you can think of and we can all play together and hang out and have fun. He simply babbled on without giving us a room to accept or decline his invitation. Honestly, we didn't care about his toys or how awesome his family was. We just wanted to continue our game. It was starting to grate on my nerves. Ah! He exclaimed suddenly. You could watch the puppet show. I stopped in my tracks and turned towards him. What puppet show? If it were possible, the boy smiled wider, making goose flesh sprout along my exposed arms. My dad's puppet show. Little Tony went on to explain that his father was the apparent new puppeteer of the town. If we came over to his house tomorrow afternoon, we could see the rehearsal and get an exclusive show before any of the other kids in town. The prospect of seeing a free puppet show was what convinced us in the end. And honestly, what else were we going to do on a hot summer day? Now, I know it might sound odd, but a bunch of boys and one wayward tomboy were gaga over a puppet show. But we were. I think, more than anything, it was the storytelling behind them that drew us in. Especially the ones with only one puppeteer mastering several puppets at one time. It was seeing the adventures and the local legends come to life that usually had little censoring that really sold it for many of us. The next afternoon, we found ourselves in the same field waiting for Tony to arrive. We were already giddy with excitement and had invited a few extra friends. Tony arrived, but on foot. Apparently, he didn't have a bike, and Martin, being the considerate one of the bunch, told us all to leave our bikes in the field and we couldn't walk with Tony back to his home. We were excited and all joined in. Little Tony and his father lived in a small old cottage on the outskirts of town. That part of town was nearly abandoned. I heard at one point the town was attempting to build up the area for city folks to come and visit, make it a whole destination type of place, but it fell through. So I was a little surprised to hear that's where they ended up. But seeing as they knew little about the area, I guess it wasn't too far-fetched. The walk sounded good at first, but turned arduous quickly, making the pack of kids grumpy. 
It would have only been a five minute bike ride, but it was turning into a much longer trek. Martin kept the group's spirits up though, claiming this was just the type of adventure we were always willing to sit and listen to. So why not be a part of it for once? Martin did always know just the right thing to say. And normally it would have calmed the nerves of all, but Tony wouldn't stop talking about his father the whole walk. How talented and brilliant he was. How his storytelling was superior to any other puppeteer known to man. It was like he was a walking promotional robot and he didn't have anything else to say. It put a lot of the kids on edge, including myself. The cottage was situated on a long and windy path up a small hill. The house had obviously seen better days with its chipping exterior paint and dead or dying vegetation. But as we climbed the small incline, those features washed away into the background as we came across the largest man I'd ever seen standing at the head of the driveway. He was middle-aged with salt and pepper hair with a curling mustache to match. He wore a large grin, so wide the edges of his cheeks wrinkled. His clothes reminded me of a circus director as he was dressed in flaming red robes with shiny black boots and a slick metal cane. He said nothing to little Tony as the boy marched past him to the stairs that led inside the cottage. Instead, his attention was all on us. Oh, I bet you are here to see the puppet show, huh? He said in a loud, booming voice and snapped his fingers. A tiny firework exploded from the tip and we gasped as one. Well then come in, come in, mes ami. He continued and led us to the backyard where a stage for the show sat. As we rounded the corner, our mouths dropped. Most of the stages I'd seen in the past were ringeting portable ones that could barely stand on their legs. However, this one was massive. Sleek wood boards painted in vibrant hues sat on thick black legs. Thick orange curtains framed the yawning mouth of the stage. We saw a couple of other kids already seated before the stage with similar looks to Tony. His siblings, most likely. They didn't give us any attention or speak to us, but we didn't mind and were way too excited about the show. Tony's father motioned us over to the rows of chairs with a grand sweeping gesture. The show began in only a few moments, Miss Potitz, he said in the same booming voice. We settled in, pouncing in our seats, unable to contain ourselves. It wasn't long before the curtain on the stage opened. Music started to play and the stage lights went up. Tony's father stepped onto the stage, a warm smile splitting his face as he greeted us. Welcome, welcome to Alexander the Magnificent Puppet Show, the most amazing puppet show you will ever witness in the world. This evening, you'll experience mind-bending storytelling and unbelievable feats. The man was over the top, to say the least. The image of him as a circus director growing stronger in my mind with each word spoken. Fireworks exploded at the front of the stage as Alexander the Magnificent bowed deeply as the velvet curtains pooled in front of him. The stage lights dimmed 
and Alexander announced from someplace unseen that Act One was about to begin. We were on the edge of our seats, giddy with anticipation. Soft music began to play as the stage splintered open to reveal a canvas background with green hills painted on it. The hill was adorned with a little house and a tree. There was once a young boy whose name was Jacques, began Alexander. I leaned forward, eager to see what his puppets looked like. To my surprise, it was a little boy who entered the stage. Wasn't this supposed to be a puppet show and not a play? Maybe it was going to be a mix of the two. The little boy walked to the center of the stage, his movements stiff, as though he was intentionally playing the role of a puppet. Jack wanted nothing more than to marry Jane. On cue, a little girl entered from stage right. Her body jerked in a strange up and down hop from foot to foot. It was too jerky to be called a skip, but it appeared to be just that. When Jacques confessed his affection, though... Alexander's voice dropped in tone, overly dramatizing the event. Jen was not interested at all. On stage, the little boy moved over to the girl, but she shook her head, turned, and walked away from him. The boy gazed a bit longingly after her for a moment, then to the audience, tears streaming down his round cheeks. Now... Whatever could Jack do to win Jen's affections? Uncle Adu? The boy's head swiveled left and right, like the hand of a metronome, before stopping on a flower that rose from the stage floor. He moved over, plucking it from the floor. The boy shuffled to the girl, presenting her with his prize. Her tiny hand reached out to grasp the wooden flower, shook her head once more, and promptly threw the flower away. With a snap of her heels, she turned and walked away. The boy reacted the same as last time. The ordeal repeated a few more times at the chagrin of the boy and the delight of us. By the end of Act 1, the boy decided to embark on a grand adventure to win an item that would make the girl fall in love with him. I took stock of my fellow audience members as the curtain closed. There were many happy faces, even without the appearance of a single puppet yet. Although Martin and two other older friends seemed bored, slumped in their chairs with their arms crossed tightly over their chests, my excitement diminished as embarrassment slithered through me. Before the feeling could fester under my skin permanently, the curtains parted as an eerie theme was played. The boy was now in a dark forest, the shift surprising me and having me inch forward on my seat again. Alexander's voice boomed over us, announcing the beginning of Act Two. The boy had been traveling for a long time and soon found himself in a thick old forest. We watched as the boy once again ambled on stage. What he didn't know, the narrator went on, was that he was being watched. Lurking figures peeked from behind and over the tops of trees. We gasped, all hooked on the scene before us. The fading tangerine rays of sunlight casting us closer to night, making the effect all the more titillating. The figures stalked the boy, 
black limbs reaching for him, causing us to cry out for him to look out. But the boy moved on, oblivious to our protests. As he neared the center of the stage, a figure jumped from the trees landing in front of the boy. It was another boy dressed in a wolf's costume. The wolf boy was all wrong. A prosthetic snout protruded from the middle of his pale face with matching wolf ears on his head. Fur grew on the tops of his hands and feet, but he wore a cheap fur suit on his body. However, it wasn't the mismatched costume that was strange, but the boy himself. He moved in the same jumping jerk motion as the girl. It was as though he was yanked up on the stage as a puppet, but not actually one. A stealthy look to my friends showed them unbothered by the new character. I wanted to say something to Martin, but I didn't want to annoy him as his eyes were fixed on the stage. I turned back to the stage, saying nothing, my stomach beginning to curdle with unease. As the act progressed, we learned that the figures were the animals of the forest. Each emerged from the wooden trees one by one, all equally as stiff as the one before them. They were to bring the boy to their king. The king was, well, I don't know what he was supposed to be. He was covered in a mixture of fur and feathers, with angular antlers sprouting unevenly on his head. His facial features were human, creating a bizarre mixture of a creature. Resting on his head was the typical golden crown, depicting his status. Alexander's voice became gruff as he took on the king, asking the boy, What are you doing in my forest? The boy replied in a choked voice that he was here to find a present to give to his love. The king made a show of thinking the boy's answer over. Finally, the king replied, If you help the animals who reside in these woods get rid of the evil hunters... Then, I shall grant you a magical crystal, which has the power to grant just one single wish. The boy agreed and set out with his new animal friends to confront the hunters, concluding the end of Act 2. Act 3 began with little preamble, opening to a scene of the forest edge. The boy and his companions hid amongst the trees, as a fire made of red and yellow and orange dreamers danced in harmony on the other side of the stage. Three figures were positioned around the waving blaze, the hunters the king talked about, no doubt. Two were sitting next to the fire, and one was asleep. As the boy and the animals watched on, the other two hunters went to lay down as well. Soon after, the boy and the animals started to move. The narrator's voice began to whisper on the breeze, as if he wanted to wake the hunters. The music died with the fire embers as the group approached. They were nearly to the hunters when one unfortunate soul sprang a trap left by the hunters. The hunters jumped from their resting places, and a battle ensued on stage. It was comical, almost. The excessive display of fighting had my lips battling giggles. The animals clawed and bit at the hunters, who in turn beat back the animals with their clubs. And there, once again, were the unnatural movements of the actors on stage. However, now, they were coupled with dramatic sounds you only hear in old superhero movies. With each, 
oof, and pow, my friends bellowed more and more with laughter in their seats. But I was no longer laughing. Something was very wrong. I just couldn't put my finger on it. The violence increased, one of the hunters falling to the ground from a bad blow to his head. He crashed to the forest floor, shaking the stage, and I was sure that Alexander would stop because there was no way that little hunter wasn't injured. But no blood pooled from the hunter's head. He simply went limp, his body lying at a weird angle. Like dominoes, the other two hunters fell, crashing like lifeless rags on the stage. My heart hammered in my chest. This... this was wrong. As the battle came to a close, I scanned the stage, trying to pinpoint what was troubling me about this so-called puppet show. As the light dimmed, the curtain signaling the end of another act, my eyes were drawn to the top of the stage. Alexander towered over the crown of the stage, his face shadowed with concentration. His hands moved in bizarre patterns, dipping and twisting, as if as if he were playing the part of a real puppeteer. Was he pretending just like the kids on stage? Was that it? The curtain zipped open once again, a new act beginning. A twinkle of something caught my eye, but was gone before I could truly make it out. My unease rolled in my chest, and I shook Martin's arm, unable to keep my anxiety to myself. He turned an annoyed eye towards me. Which problem? Something's wrong. Can't you see that this is just all wrong? I hissed, trying to keep my voice low. Martin rolled his eyes, turning his attention back to the play. I wanted to shake him to see what I was seeing. Reluctantly, I cast my eyes back onto the act before me. I didn't take in what was happening, but instead watched as Alexander weaved his arms above the stage a maestro of his own design. I squinted at his hands, shock freezing me to my seat. Spider-like string glided between Alexander and his actors on stage. I pulled Martin to me, not caring about his protest. Look, I said into his ear. Martin jostled free at my weak hold, anger clear on his cherubic face. What's your problem? Stop being weird. Before I tell him what I saw, little Tony pivoted in his seat, his smile unnerving me as he took me in. Isn't the show the greatest thing ever? He beamed. When I didn't reply, he went on as if on a script. I can't wait for the ending. I don't care about the ending. I snapped back. It is the best part of the play. I'm so excited. The little boy in front of me said happily. I didn't get to finish as Martin shushed me. A few of the others around me did as well, and I slumped in my chair in defeat. My eyes drifted to the stage where the boy had made it home, crystal in hand. The little boy approached his village, but was stopped by an old man on his way out of town. Alexander's voice softened as he spoke for the man. There is nothing left back there, my boy. With no hunters to protect our village, the animals came and ate everyone during the night. 
the little boy wept as the old man looked on. But he hastily wiped his face as he remembered his crystal wish. He wished and wished, but the crystal did not bring the village back. Unfortunately, that is the one thing the crystal cannot do. Brings the dead back to life. On Alexander's last words, the curtains closed. The show apparently over. With the briefest of pauses, the curtains parted for the last time, revealing the boy, the girl, the animals, and all the rest of the players. As a spotlight shone on each of them, they took their bow. I looked up and gasped. There were strings connected to the kids, to Alexander. I turned to Martin, but his eyes were glued on the strings too. Finally seeing what I saw, his mouth hung open, his eyes far too wide. Around us, our friends applauded, some excitedly, but others half-heartedly. Martin and I sat silent, too afraid to move, but desperately wanting to flee. I jumped in my seat, Martin's lips grazing my ear. Let's go. The words were barely off his tongue before a spotlight blinked onto us. Well now, it seems that some of you didn't quite enjoy our little puppet show. That makes us very sad, doesn't it, Miss Petites? Alexander flicked his wrist, and the kids' heads on stage jerked up and down erratically. Perhaps some... some little information? A little feedback? Hmm? No? Martin and I didn't move, didn't breathe, as Alexander loomed over the stage, a smile dissecting his mouth, making his cheeks too high, his teeth too white. Perhaps you would like to join us to improve our little show... My head shook vehemently, my whole body trembling. I... I just want to go home. The other kids in the crowd started to squirm in their seats, the tension rolling through us. You really should join. It's fun. Little Tony practically yelled at me. I jumped out of my seat. Martin, ever my protector, pulled me into his side, his body shielding some of mine. Alexander laughed and my knees knocked together. <laughs> well, it seems I must decide for you, my good friends. Alexander's hands snapped up, the kids on stage growing rigid. With a flick, they leaped toward us in unison. I screamed, falling backward over my chair. Chaos reigned as the puppet kids descended on us, yanking our friends by their hair and limbs to bring them before the roaring puppet master. Martin's hands dug painfully into my arm, hauling me to my feet. Run! He bellowed, and my fight-or-flight instinct finally kicked in. We dashed for the exit, feet pounding the dirt. We were just in reach when little Tony jumped in front of us, bringing us to a skidding halt. You can't leave just yet, he said in his happy little tone. The fun is just about to begin. Tony lunged for me, and I pinwheeled back. Around me, more and more of my friends were carted off to the stage, their screams snuffing out abruptly as they stepped onto the stage. I screamed, mustered up all my strength, and kicked little Tony in the chest as hard as I could. The boy hit the ground with a sickening snap. I nearly vomited as little Tony lay in a gnarled heap. His legs and arms flailed uselessly at his side, no longer connected to his body. His head rolled around like one of our soccer balls, eyes still cheerful and bright. That wasn't very nice, he chastised as his body finally went limp. 
the strings no longer supporting his movements. There was no blood, just deadened wood limbs left behind. I stood there for just a second, simply staring at the pieces of little Tony. I looked up to Martin, but he was no longer by my side. I whirled around to find Martin crying and squirming in the grip of Alexander's puppets. In our fighting madness, they must have snatched him from me. Tears blurred my vision as they dragged my best friend to the stage. Iridescent snakes slithered towards him as he kicked and screamed. Our eyes met, and the look he gave me will haunt me until my last day. Determined to distract the puppets, Martin mouthed his final word, run, and turned to face the horde. I was glued to the spot, unable to heed my friend's final wish. The strings bit into Martin's flesh, and he screamed, then went still. I thought he was dead. Then, slowly, his head rose, and he looked upon me. My friend was gone, and I needed to be as well. I ran. I ran down the long drive, wooden feet giving chase after me. I ran until I could no longer hear their steps. No doubt I was far out of their reach. I ran as fast as I could home. Later, I would hear it was well past midnight when I pounded hysterically on my front door. The police were called to my home while others in town went searching for my friends. That summer, seven kids, including Martin, were never seen again. I was questioned by the police countless times. I knew they didn't believe my story. Most likely thought I was confused or too traumatized from what really happened that day. The police checked the old cottage, but found nothing. The problem was no one had actually moved into any of the cottages on that side of town, or even heard of a man named Alexander who was a puppeteer. Even with my description, no serious leads turned up. To this day, I still have no idea if what occurred was real or something my mind conjured to shield me from the truth. I'm in my early 30s now, and every night I am haunted by dreams of little wooden boys who chase me and try to turn me into their little wooden girl. This has been a Morbid Forest production. On this week's episode, you've heard Puppet Master, written by Sean Moreau and narrated by Naomi Richards, Sean Moreau, and Matthew Trevino. We just wanted to let everybody know that I know this episode's coming out a little bit later, but we started a Twitter. So head over to Twitter for live show updates and horrifying content. Like what you hear? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and help us reach more travelers just like you. As you saw on our feed, we dropped a new series called Deeper Into the Forest, 
where we take you behind the scenes of each episode. And if you want more behind the scenes content, head over to patreon.com slash the morbid forest today and become a Patreon and gain exclusive access to more of the morbid forest. As always, thank you for listening. I will see you next time on the morbid forest.